series called Not As Planned, and, and I don't need to tell you this, but things don't go as, as planned. And I uh, experienced this in a very real way over the last couple weeks. Uh, you notice if you were here, my wife and I, we were out of town last week. We spent spring break with our kids up with our family, and, and I had a little bit of spring break envy because while I'm on vacation, I started scrolling through Instagram and I saw pictures like this. These are actually from people that are on our campus and said, oh man, I really wish I was there. I think that one is at St. Simon's Island or something. I was like, I mean, that just looks great. And I see pictures like this from Destin. And let me show you what my spring break looked like. Here was mine. <laughs> yeah. All of our families up in Ohio, Indiana area, so we drive up there uh, after church on Easter Sunday. That picture was from Sunday night, April 1st, and uh, we're driving up, and, and by the way, uh, people ask, well, hey man, was traffic crazy? No, we were the only people going 75 North, the only people <laughs> on 75 North, and uh, it's late, the kids, Becky, they're all asleep in the van, and we cross over into Tennessee, and it's raining, no big deal, we cross over into Kentucky, and I'm noticing, man, it's just getting colder and colder. We're about like central to northern Kentucky. Kentucky. I wake Becky up. I said, it's snowing. I said, text our parents. I'm turning around. <laughs> they can come to Georgia if they want. We are not spending spring break where it is snowing, but she talked me into it and got there in about an inch and a half on the ground Sunday night. Monday morning, about three inches on the ground. It snowed a total of three times on us on our spring break. And I tell you that because obviously we didn't plan for that at all. I was wearing shorts and flip-flops when I got to my parents' house on Sunday. I said, obviously I didn't plan well for this. But that happens, doesn't it? And we can spend a lot of our time in the why did this happen to me space. And I'm not saying we shouldn't ask the question. I'm just saying maybe we shouldn't spend so much time on it because in that situation, it's like, well, why is it snowing? Is God testing me? Is this a faith test to see how I respond and how I act? Which probably wasn't very, I probably failed that one. Is this from God? Is this from the devil? Is he attacking me and my family? Do I have some uncovered sin in my life that has caused it to snow? What could it possibly be that has made the weather like it is? And, and I'm not saying that, that we shouldn't, again, ask the question why, but we spend so much time, so much energy asking why that we spend so much less time trying to figure out what we do next. How do we respond? How do we deal with life when life comes at us? Because life just happens, and things don't go always according to plan. I can tell you that in that moment of seeing it, what I would call a blizzard for April, seeing that the, the emotions and the anger, the frustration, the disappointment, all those emotions, right, when things don't go as planned, we, those emotions get stirred, and we make different decisions in an emotional charged climate, don't we? In that moment, I'm like, we're going home, whatever the kids think, I don't care, we're getting out of snow, and, and if we had followed, if I had followed what I wanted to do, it would have been a very, very different experience. So the question we really should ask is not just why did it happen and not just what to do, but more so, how do we stay steady? How is our decision-making steady when life is not? Because life is not going to be steady, Eddie. It would be great if it was, but that's not going to happen. Life does not always go as planned. Things don't go as planned. So how do we stay steady in our decision-making and our actions, even when we don't feel like it, even when we don't want to, when life is not steady, how do we make sure that our decisions continue to be so. So to look at that and to answer that question, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke. If you got your Bibles, head on over, Luke chapter 5. We're going to see an encounter, uh, one of what we have at least in Scripture, one of the first encounters Peter, Simon Peter, has with Jesus, and as we're going to see how he's able to make decisions, even, even when things aren't going as planned. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. 
One day, Jesus was standing by the lake, and there's a long name there. That's basically the Lake of Galilee. The people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left by fishermen who were washing their nets. Remember, washing their nets. We're going to explain that. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, that's Simon Peter, the soon-to-be disciple, and asked him to put it out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. Now, what I tell you, remember, they were what their nets. They were washing their nets. So make an assumption here. Do you think they are done fishing or getting ready to go fishing? Probably done. They've been fishing all night, and if you are a fisherman, you, you know anything about that, I mean, that's, for them in their area, that was prime time. And if you're going to catch the most amount of fish, do it at night. It's harder, but you're going to get the most catch. And they did that all night. They're washing, they're tired, they're done, and Jesus says, hey, I need you to do me a favor. I got a lot of people I need to teach and preach to, so to make it easier, can I be in one of the boats, push off from shore a little bit so they can see me, they can hear me a little bit better? Peter says, yeah, sure, why not? So he does that. Now, look at what happens next, because, again, Peter's already been through this whole night of fishing, and Jesus has something else he wants to ask. Well, maybe not so much an ask, more of a tell. Look what happens next, verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let the nets down for a catch. First part of verse 5 says this, Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught a thing. You talk about going to work and it not ending as planned, not going as planned. Worked hard all night and still have nothing to show for it. And here comes Jesus, says, why don't you just try again? That's basically what Jesus is saying. I know you worked hard all night, but why don't you go ahead and try again? And Peter's response is, okay, Jesus, but he calls him what? Remember that word there started with an M? Master. He says, master, uh, I mean, we just got done fishing. Like, we're cleaning our nets. We're tired. We're exhausted. We have nothing to show for it. If we were going to catch anything, it would have been last night. And Peter's like, this is my job. This is my profession, my career. I am a professional fisherman. Jesus, it's not just as simple as, well, I'll just go try again. If we were going to catch something, it would have been last night. But we're done. I mean, we're tired. We'll go home. We'll try again tomorrow night. But wouldn't the answer be no? An emotionally charged moment of being frustrated and disappointed, tired and exhausted. Jesus says, well, why don't you just go try again? That's why we have to be careful of how we make decisions, especially when things don't go as planned. Because our decision-making process, it can be dangerous to make decisions when we're disappointed. In the midst of being disappointed, we can make some pretty bad decisions. Can we make great decisions? Sure. I'm saying it can be dangerous. We have to be aware of it. Decision-making can be very dangerous when we are in the midst of disappointment and frustration, when we are emotionally charged. But go back to that word. What did he call Jesus? Master. Master. He says, Master. I'm going to trust you on this one because look at what he says next here. Look at what he says next. Let me read back verse 4 and 5 so you get it in context because I left out one sentence out of verse 5 for you. When he finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon Peter answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. And most of us would want to say no. <laughs> Thanks for the suggestion, but I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. I know, it's not, I know what's going to happen. The answer is no. Look at what he says instead. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Jesus says, why don't you go try it again? Just go back out, put the nets down again. And Peter says, uh, I mean, we just did that. 
It's the same lake. It's the same spot. Uh, there's no fish there right now. We tried all night. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're already cleaned up. We're ready to go home. We'll try again later. But, but because it's you, Jesus, what did he call him again? Master. See, you recognize there's this authority there. And let me ask you this. What's, what's more important to Peter? What Jesus told him or who told him to do it? Which one? The what or the who? The who. Because if anybody else had walked up to Peter and says, Peter, why don't you go try again? Go put the nets back into the water. Peter said, no. Who are you to tell me to do that? Right? That would have probably been the response. Anybody have a teenager that said that recently? Yeah, who are you to, to tell me what to do? Who do you think you are to give me that advice? Who do you think you are to tell me what I should or shouldn't do? That's our natural response, isn't it? Well, who are you? And Peter's saying the exact same thing, except he's got an answer for the who are you. He's like, no, this is, what is it? Master, because it's you who told me to, he says, I will. That's the only reason, Jesus. It, it doesn't make sense. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't compute. It doesn't seem to add up. I don't see how this is going to work. But Jesus, because it's you that's telling me to, that's the only reason I'm going to say yes, he says, okay. The who is so important. As I stand up here right now, I'm going to give you all an instruction. I'm going to see how well you can follow instructions. You ready? Everybody down with their hands behind their back. And that's exactly what happened. For, oh, there's a few of you. I'm impressed. I'm impressed. Yeah, hardly. The 930 just looked at me like, you're an idiot. No. <laughs> no. Who are you to tell me to do that, right? Now, if I had an entire SWAT team up on stage with me, and they said, everybody down with their hands behind their back, we would all be like, okay. <laughs> right? Why is that? Is it because I lack authority? In that case, yes. Most certainly I do. <laughs> no, it's because the who matters. Who tells us to do something matters. It's not just what they're telling us. It's who are they? What authority do they carry? Who do they mean to us? And Peter picks something up very early on. Once again, what did he call Jesus? Master. Master. Lord. There's an authority or king. And what Peter recognized and held hold of early on is simply this. That Jesus is king. And he's not. He recognized. He says, because it's you, only because it's you, Jesus, am I going to do what you told me to do. That's the only reason. It's because you are king and I'm not. I've shared this with some of you, and if you haven't, I want to teach it to you. It's something that goes through my head as regularly as I, as I possibly can. It's this phrase, he's the king and I'm not. And here's how we're going to do this. Every time I say he's the king, you're going to repeat he's the king. Every time I say I'm not, you're going to repeat it. I know that was complicated, so let's try it. You ready? This you do have to obey and listen to. He's the king, he's the king. and I'm not. I'm not. He's, the he's the king, and I'm not. That's exactly what Peter got. Early on in his encounter with Jesus, he recognized the who matters. And who is this? This is master. This is Jesus. This is king. And he said, he's the king. Uh, you fell asleep on me, didn't you? Yeah, you have to do this the entire message. I'm, it's not a one-time thing. Every time. So let me back up. So Peter realized that he's the king, and I'm not. And that was the basis for his decision. Not his emotions, not what he felt like, not what he wanted, not what he thought. It was that sole fact that Jesus truly is master, and he's the king, and I'm not. So look at what happens next. So they decided to do exactly what he said. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats 
so full that they began to sink. And something amazing happened, right? Here, Jesus says, man, just put your nets back in the water. And Peter's thinking, we just did all, we did that all night and it didn't work out. Nothing is going as planned. Nothing to show for it. We're tired, we're exhausted, we're cleaning up, we're ready to go home. But because it's you, because he's the king and I'm not, we're going to do exactly what he said. So he gets his fishing partners together and says, all right, let's do it. And that phrase at the beginning of verse 6, when they had done so. In other words, this miracle hinged on them doing what Jesus said. Let that sink in. The miracle of the fish filling both boats to the point of sinking hinged on that phrase. When they had done so. When they decided to say, okay. When they did what Jesus said. The miracle was going to happen, but it was a matter of whether Peter would receive it or not. Receiving that miracle was dependent on Peter's obedience and his faith. Oftentimes, Jesus is involved and Jesus is doing incredible things in our lives, but our lack of faithful obedience keeps us from moments like this. When things don't go as planned, our emotions are swirling and we make some potentially harmful or wrong decisions, when life's not steady, we tend to not be And in those moments, we miss out on what Jesus is actually doing. Now, let me say this. We don't obey just so that we can try to earn something. There's not a a hidden motive here that we see from Peter, especially in our hearts. Scripture talks a lot about our attitudes and our motives and our intentions. So we're not obeying. We're not being obedient so we can somehow earn God's love and grace. We're not somehow, we're not trying to be obedient just so we, we earn the mercy and earn the love. No, that's given as a gift. That's free. That's unconditional. It's the nature of grace and mercy. We're not being obedient so we somehow get this incredible result. We're not being obedient so that we're guaranteed two boatloads of fish. No, that's not in here at all. We obey simply for the fact that he's the king and I'm not. That's it. In fact, Jesus, when he told Peter and the rest of the guys, hey, go and put your nets back in the water, he says, go back and look for a catch. So he says, yeah, something's going to happen, but Jesus doesn't say, hey, you want to know the secret to two boatloads of fish? Go back out. At that, Peter was like, oh, man, that's a great idea. Sure, why not? Great promise intended, right? So often, we feel like there needs to be some hidden agenda with our obedience. That's not the case. It doesn't matter what he's asking us to do. If he is truly our king, then we say, okay. To Peter, again, It didn't make any sense for him to go back and put his net back in the water. But he said, no, no, you're master. So if you ask me to go put my nets back in the water, my answer is yes. If you ask me to stand on my head and spin around, the answer is yes. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't see how this is going to connect. But because he is the king and I'm not, my answer is yes. I was challenged early on in my Christian walk from a mentor that said, Brian, you know, if you're going to walk with Jesus, if you're going to live that life, he's like, you have to make a decision now. And I said, well, I've been baptized. I've I made the decision. No, you need to make a different decision. He held out a Bible and he said, do you believe the word of God is true? I said, yes. He says, are you willing and ready to do what the word of God says? I said, sure. He says, no, 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 no. Without opening it, without going through it, without knowing everything, are you willing to do exactly what it says? Are you willing to do exactly what the word of God says? And as we talked more about that, that became a more difficult question to answer because what we like to do and say, well, let me see what Jesus says about certain things, and I'll let you know if I want to abide by that or not. Let me let you know if that works out with what I want to do. 
Isn't that how we normally do things, right? If, if we're going to sign something over, well, let me read the fine print. Let me, let me understand exactly what that means. What is, what is required of me? What's expected of me? And then, then I'll answer yes or no. But what was challenged to me was, before you know anything in here, is your answer yes or no? Is it yes or no? Because if it's yes, then it doesn't matter what he says, the answer is yes. Because he's the king, and I'm not. So the next question I usually get asked, well, where do I start? If, if, if he's truly king, if, if he's Jesus, if he's master, if I'm supposed to do what he says, if I want to have faithful obedience, where do I begin? If you've got your worship guide, you want to write something down, I'm going to give you some homework this week. Here's a great place to start, whether you've, you've read through this or not. It's a great place to start. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is a great place to start. You don't have to turn there necessarily, but at least write down Matthew 5. It's a great place to begin. What does it look like to live like Jesus? He does what we call now the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And he lays out, here's what it looks like. Do this, don't do that. Do this, don't do that. It's a lot of the do's and the don'ts, but that helps us in our, in our journey of obedience. And of course, we're not going to do it perfectly, but he begins to lay it out. So start in Matthew chapter 5. Now I'm going to give you a next part of that. Okay? So start in Matthew 5, at least 5 through 7. Then I'm going to give you another one. Write this down. Ready? Luke. And then write Mark. I know I got them out of order. Matthew, Mark, Luke. What do you think the last one's going to be? John. Good job. So read through all the Gospels. And then just write Bible. Just read the Bible. Once you get through Matthew 5, then read Mark. Then read Luke. Then read John. Read the rest of the New Testament. And then just read the whole Bible. And here's why, though. You want to know what Jesus is telling you? It is all here. Please do not wait every Sunday. Oh, I wonder what God's going to say to me today. No. He's speaking to you. He's talking to you. He's already done so. It's on you to begin. It's on me to begin to seek out what he has already told us to do. No matter what he says in here, he's the king, and I'm not. I get a little pushback sometimes. Well, you don't understand, like, my situation. This is culture. This was written thousands of years ago. There's no way that what I'm dealing with, Jesus spoke to, or the Bible, the scriptures speak to. And I'm like, no, most, most definitely there's some gray areas, but that's where we have the Holy Spirit that intercedes for us. But scripture speaks to our life situations. In fact, let me put this graphic up here for you. This shows you all the parts of our life. Well, not all, but a good chunk of them. Obviously not an exhaustive list. Take a picture of this if you want. Grab your phone out. And it says, well, what do I do when I'm dealing with being upset? I'm upset. Well, go to John 14. Uh, what about when I'm worried or I'm anxious? Two passages there. Man, what do, what do I do when I need courage? When, man, I'm really struggling with something. Courage. Man, you go to Joshua 1. I'm leaving on a trip. Like to the north over spring break. Psalm 121. And you can read these and there's many like that. Now, now here's what I want to tell you. You want to hear some pastor inside information? So, I mean, my full-time job is to prepare messages to disciple and shepherd the flock that Jesus has given me, which is you. So I spent an entire week working on this. Okay, you want to know where I actually found it? Pinterest. <laughs> yep. You know what I, what I did? I searched Bible verses for life situations, and that popped up. I was like, that's perfect. I don't have to recreate it. Right? Seriously, though. Don't wait on me to tell you something that is already there. It's on us all throughout the week, throughout our moments and outer days. I'm not with you every single moment. You don't want me with you. I don't want to be with you every single moment. But we need to be learning of what, what Jesus is telling us in our everyday lives and in those everyday moments. So don't wait for Sunday. Find it. If you don't know where to look in the Bible, that's a great place. Start in Pinterest. Let me give you two legit websites that are going to help you out. Write down this one, gotquestions.org. 
I use it every week as I'm studying, as I'm, I'm trying to get God's word into our labs, gotquestions.org. It's a great resource. Biblehub.com is another great resource. Ask questions, dig into them. I'll post them on our socials this week if you want to find them. The last one I would tell you, write this one down too, is Google. Use Google. Now, does that mean you believe everything that Google spits out of you? No, at you, no, but start there. If you got a question, if you're like, Brian, I looked up, I found this website, it's saying this, is that right? Let's talk about it. Let's see what God's word actually says. The point is, if you want to listen to Jesus, if you want to obey him, you want to do what he says because simply he's the king and I'm not, you got to know what he says and that's on us throughout the week. Please do not wait for me to talk with you on a Sunday. You'll be highly disappointed and you're going to miss out a lot on what Jesus says. And if we miss out on what Jesus says, can I propose that we may be missing out on some miracles in our lives? May we not wait. May we dig into what he is actually telling us. And when he tells us, our answer is, Master, I don't get it, but yes, because he's the king and I'm not. Here's what happens next. So they obey, they listen, and they get their two boatloads of fish that cause the boats to about sink. Verse 8, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at, at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. That word Lord there is also the same type of word, different word, but similar meaning as master or king. Again, he's recognizing Jesus' authority over him. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees said, go away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. For he and all of his companions were, and what's that word there? They were what? Astonished. I would be too. You go from catching nothing to catching two boatloads of fish. We should all be astonished. They were astonished at the catch of fish that had taken. they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. What were they? They were astonished. Imagine after this happened, he falls at Jesus's feet, again, recognizing the authority of Jesus in his place because he's the king and I'm not. So I'm astonished, Peter's saying, at what he just saw. He saw a miracle. He saw something happen that they tried to do on their own but could not do on their own. Did you catch that? There wasn't anything new. There wasn't a new fishing technique that Jesus gave them. Well, no, if, if you really do it like this, it'll probably work. No, Jesus said, you've just got to trust me and listen to me and obey me. And so often in our lives, we're like, well, Jesus, that's, that's exactly what I've been doing, right? I've already been doing that. I've been working at this. I've been doing what I'm supposed to be doing. I've been going to job interview after job interview after job interview. I, I don't know if I can take any more of the same thing and the same thing and the same thing. And Jesus is like, yeah, but am I involved in it? That was really the big change, wasn't it? The timing and the involvement of Jesus. And they were astonished when Jesus was involved. Now they became astonished, amazed at what he did and what they most certainly could not do on their own. They were amazed at what Jesus did in their life when they recognized that he's the king and I'm not. There's one more thing that astonished me personally as I was reading and studying through this. Verse 11, I want to see if you can pick it up. It says, so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything and followed him. What fascinates me is they just got what we would call the catch of a lifetime. Two boatloads of fish. And what did they do with it? They left it. They pulled the boats up on shore and followed Jesus. They left everything. The only reason they would do that is because they recognized who Jesus truly is. That he's the king and I'm not. 
what Peter and his companions that later became disciples, what they portrayed was a life that's not their own. Ultimately, that's what we're talking about. When things don't go as planned, well, is it your life that you're worried about or are you allowing Jesus to take care of it? Is he truly ruling in your life? And yes, it's our life because it was given to us, but the question is, do we give that back to him? Say, even though it's my life, I'm going to let you make my decisions, Jesus. Even though it's my life, am I going to let you rule over every part of my life? That's what Peter showed. The fact that he left everything and followed him says, Jesus, my life is no longer my own. I'm tired of doing it my way. Tired of messing it up my way. So I'm going to now follow you. Romans 12 speaks to this. and lays it out in pretty, claim, pretty plain language. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, again, we don't earn it, we don't deserve it, it's already been given, so because of what he's already done, here's what we are to do, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, say living sacrifice, as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, be different be transformed by the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. He's the king, and I'm not. In other words, yes, we've been given life and breath and choice. You can do whatever you want. Make sure you don't tell my kids that I said that, but it's true, isn't it? You have total freedom to do whatever you want. Nobody can make you do anything, right? We make our own decisions, but should we? And what Romans 12 is saying here and what we see in Peter's life is, well, it's my life, but it's also my life to give back. To offer your bodies as a living sacrifice means it's not mine anymore. It's truly taking every part of your life and saying, Jesus, it's yours. Everything you say, I'll say yes to. Everywhere you go, I'll go. There's nothing that would keep me from following and obeying you simply for the fact that he's the king and I'm not. That relationship of kingship is an interesting dynamic where you have a king and a kingdom, and in that kingdom you have everybody else, servants and peasants and whatever you want to name it, but the king is over all. And it's the king's job to protect the kingdom. It's the king's job to provide for the kingdom. It's the king's job to make major decisions for the kingdom. It's the king's job. And so often we take kingship back. We say, well, this is my life. Or, or we start to try to co-king with Jesus. Say, okay, Jesus, you can have the kingship. You can rule in my life in these areas. But when it comes to my work, now I need to be king over that. I mean, it is my job. It's my profession. It's my career on the line here. Jesus, you can be king over these things. But when it comes to my marriage, I, I need to stay king over that. Finances, no, I definitely need to. Let me hang on to that one too because, I mean, I know my budget and I know how I need. There's just a lot of things, Jesus, you might not be aware of. I need to be king over all my finances. Parenting, uh, have, I'll be king now, but then you take care of them later. How about we do like a split? I'll take them for here, and then you take them later, and you work a deal out, right? No, he's the king, and I'm not. And when we believe that, and we actually allow that to be evident in our life, here's the great thing that happens. Now, don't take what I'm about to say out of context here. It's the king's job to provide and to take care of and to solve problems protect, provide, right? That's the job of the king. So when lowly me has a problem, when things don't go as planned, hey king, I've got a problem. Hey king, this isn't working out. Hey king, I lost my job. Hey king, we're having marital problems. Hey king. And our king is good. 
And I believe with all my heart that our king takes care of us. And that our king does protect us. And that our king does provide for us. And that our king does what is absolutely necessary for us. He sent his one and only son to the cross for us. He's the king. And I'm not. When we put our entire life in our king's hands, he does so much more with it. Does a better job with it than we ever could. Once again, because he's the king. And I'm most certainly not. Whatever you're still hanging on to, stop being king and lord of your life. It's yours and it's your choice, for sure. But a better choice it would be to give your life to the king who can do so much more. You will be amazed at what Jesus can do with your life when you allow him to be involved. So whatever he tells you to do, whatever he says in here, agree with it, disagree with it, like it, not like it, understand it, not understand it. Isaiah says we're not going to understand it. Your ways are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are greater than our thoughts. We're not going to fully get it. But our answer is the same as Peter's. Master, I've been working hard on this on my own. But because you say so, okay. Because he's the king. And I'm not. Jesus, thank you for being king Thank you for being Lord. Thank you for being master. You are so many other thanks to us like friend and father, daddy, healer, helper. You're our Messiah. You're our Savior. You're so many things. But may we not neglect that you are our king. You are our only king. You are above all things. And may our life be no exception. Even though we've been given the great freedom of choice, may, we, may it be our choice to give our life right back to you as a living sacrifice. So that our decisions are no longer our own to make, but we follow you no matter what. Jesus, help us to allow in the depths of our soul to come to grips that you are our king and we are not. In Jesus' name.